Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on our fourth episode of Doc Talk. This has been such a pleasure working with Captain Monroe. Captain, thank you for being my, my co-host. And hello to you, sir. Uh, the pleasure is all mine, Amy. Uh, and uh, always, a, always a joy to hit on some of the key topics. And, you know, it kind of is funny. It kind of makes your head spin after a while. Things are changing so quickly, you know, in the international world and certainly the impacts it has on the inland world as well. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know, my team and I have been traveling nonstop, I feel like, for the last three months and just getting to talk with uh, so many different stakeholders in so many different uh, basins uh, within IRPT that I have so much to share with you today. Well, I think the best thing to do is ladies before gentlemen. Jump right in, huh? So recently, well, and so IRPT, we've been holding our spring basin meetings in each of our basins. So far, we've held the Missouri River, the Ohio River, the Gulf and Intracoastal. This week, we're doing the Illinois River and the Arkansas River basin meetings. And when we get to gather all of our members together, we get to you know, talk about some of the challenges that we may be having with river management services and um, just strategize on those solutions. I'm so thankful to report to you, uh, Captain Monroe, that the Army Corps and the Coast Guard, the pilots, the captains, the barge lines, the ports, the terminals, there is so much strong communication happening within our industry that this is a new thing that we really haven't seen, you know, in years past. And so I really want to applaud the Corps, the Coast Guard, and all of our stakeholders for some healthy and strong communication. One thing that we have noticed in uh, last week uh, at the Gulf and Intracoastal Waterways meeting, IRPT got to meet with General Lyons. He's the White House liaison for the Port Envoy um, to, to look at the supply chain crisis that we all went through. We also got to meet with the Administrator of Maritime Administration, Administrator Phillips, and talk with her about some of the challenges that we're seeing as well. Just the week before, we had sent a delegation to Washington, D.C. to meet with federal agencies and river management being Institute of Water Resources, the Army Corps of Engineers, the Coast Guard, and Maritime Administration. What we've identified is some serious, serious challenges that our industry has regarding data, metrics, and statistics. Well, I, I will say one thing that I'm very hopeful at this stage that somebody's actually going to do something for a change. Um, we have seen a lot of pressure off the system because the volumes of cargo are down. Uh, we're seeing that, uh, oddly enough, like particularly on the international side, that ship schedules, you know, most of the ships had gotten so bad schedule-wise, they were only about 23% on time. Now they're up to just close to 60% on time. And that's fundamentally because nobody's getting delayed, right? But the bottom line is, is that we're still seeing all many of the other issues that were in place uh, in regards to just just the simple movement of cargo, great deal of pressure on the railroads right now. You know, obviously, uh, certainly with what happened with Norfolk Southern and, and several other railroads, what's the whole fundamental focus now is gone. Is there safety with these very long three-mile trains? 
you know, what data is the FRA collecting? And essentially, from what I'm hearing, they're not collecting any data in regards to, you know, the impact of these longer trains. We just had a West Coast walkout for a day uh, on Good Friday, which I thought was uh, fascinating, that uh, people didn't show up for work. Right. And uh, did they call a, it that? Did they call it the West Coast walkout? Because that's pretty well, catchy. I'm not sure. I think they all they all took they all took Good Friday off for religious reasons, right? <laughs> and uh, I think that fundamentally had something to do with it. Um, but the other thing I'm seeing is that the lines are still not repositioning their empties to allow a lot of your customers, a lot of your members, to reload those containers and send that cargo back uh, to Asia. They're leaving agri-cargo on the on the uh, docks and in the warehouses and stuff in the storage areas and sending those boxes back empty. Uh, and there is a, a bit of an increase in activity in China, in the Indonesian, uh, Chinese, Vietnam, uh, Philippines, in that market area over there, where I think a lot of these empties are being utilized. Uh, but for the most part, what we are seeing is that there's a big buildup of empties over there, um, and uh, we're, being st we're still being starved. So there's a couple of uh, our legislators who are now in the process of trying to get things in place. Uh, there's a Shipping Reform Enforcement Act, which has been introduced. Uh, and the other thing that I thought was absolutely fascinating, uh, the um, uh, legislators from California have introduced an act to eliminate the vessel sharing agreements, right? Whereas they're go right now they're subject to exemption under the Sherman Antitrust Act. You know, for them to do the vessel sharing, you know, and, and have these uh, uh, groups put together. And now they want to exempt them because they feel that there's collusion going on, there's price fixing going on. And uh, that's going to have a major impact, not only on the inland side, but also on the entire international market. If all of a sudden you find uh, the various companies that have formed these alliances are no longer able to do that. And that's just something that will ripple through the entire world, not just focused here. But there is good news, despite all of this, and that is that, you know, if you remember back in episode one, we predicted that the international freight rates on containers would stabilize. They have settled in at around $1,700 worldwide right now, and it's been consistent there for the last couple of weeks, and I think that's exactly where it's going to say, 1700 meaning the worldwide average. So that will now open up, I think, certainly for a lot of your members, uh, Amy, the opportunities uh, to transship cargo now because container costs are much lower than they were. You know, they, they're higher, obviously, on, on high demand markets. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, for the worldwide average, that's a good indicator that things are, things are sort of normalized. That being said, that's what's taken the pressure off the system that you talked to Administrator Phillips about, that you talked to you know, the general about, and the bottom line is, is that we cannot pretend that these issues don't exist because now we're not seeing the impact of the higher volumes. The volumes come back, it's going gonna, it's gonna to occur again, and I have yet to see anything tangible or concrete come out of D.C. Well, I'm glad you said that because if we look at volumes, right, it's more than just containers. It's, it's bulk, it's coal, it's energy, it's ag. It's metals, um, recycled, et cetera. And so if we look at 
you know, the investment decisions that we're making from the private side, from the public stakeholder of the public courts, just even building barges, our capacity right now to, to move the volume. We say, what's the volume, <laughs> right? Well, there's one federal agency in charge of all of this, and it's called the Institute of Water Resources. By law, <clears throat> each one of our stakeholders, our barge lines, have to report monthly by law where they're moving that barge to, whether they're taking it out of the fleet to the dock, from the dock to the to the destination. Monthly, by law, they have to report that. And they're they're doing it in a, on a handwritten, um, they handwrite it onto a vessel operating report, a VOR, and then they mail that into a staff in New Orleans. That staff in New Orleans is operating on a 1990s MS-DOS system. Mm. There's no cloud. There's no... Um, you know, insurance that the data that we're even submitting is going to be available to us if this DOS system goes down. Can you imagine if you were operating just your home, your your office on an MS DOS? You'd say it's time to <laughs> it's time to modernize, right? I know. Um, I wrote my using... I wrote my I wrote my first book on a. Uh on a 64 uh, Atari computer and stuff like that. <laughs> See, and they're still using them in DC. You, you know, the other thing age, that, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing I've noticed too, is that a lot of our port areas are underreporting their tonnages because the parameters that, particularly with the Army Corps, the parameters that they define as encompassing the port area, specifically the geographic area, are in many cases don't encompass all of the private terminals as well as the public terminals, right? I know of a port in Texas, for example, where, you know, they just focus on just their tonnage, right? Instead of looking along the entire riverfront and reporting all of those tonnages. And of course, people always sit there and say, well, the private sector doesn't like to share that information with the public sector for obvious reasons, all right? Uh, but I think that for the most part, um, that if they don't do that, all right, they're going to not be competitive in getting the money that they need for infrastructure investment. And we're not sure how long that window is going to stay open. Well, here's the what on that. I totally blame all of that underreporting on mis misconceptions, misunderstandings. Like I said, by by law, it's the barge line that has to report the movement of that of that commodity, of that cargo. But guess what? If you have an operator you know, some of these some of these terminals are like huge conglomerates that charter barges. So if I have the Jones company that knows they're going to ship, you know, 100 barges, you know, in in one year, they're probably going to on long term charter that barge. Well, then it's no longer the barge line that by law has to report. Now it's the operator, the terminal operator that has to report. And if we're not educating our own industry, our own stakeholders on the who, what, and how to report those tonnages, it's not getting reported. Now, I'm not in favor of anybody, you know, getting fined for this, but there is a $5,000 fine per instance of not reporting. If it and takes I a fine just to educate the industry, I say, might be worth it, right? <laughs> well, I, I often wonder myself whether it's just sloppy operations or people are doing it intentionally. And the bottom line is, is that it's to everybody's disadvantage, right, if this is not being reported. 
And I think in the long run, I think we just have to continue to educate people and help them to understand, right, that there is so much competition, first of all, between each of the ports. There's competition between the ports and the railroads, competition between the ports, railroads, and the trucking companies, right? And then there's competitions between the various regions, what's happening in your world, what's happening in the coastal world and stuff, what's happening in the Gulf of Mexico. So, you know, throwing out a few scraps and everybody's racing to try to get this this money. And of course, you know, everybody uh, makes good uh, sense about why they think this money is essential and why it's critical. And we all recognize it is. But the bottom line here is that, you know, unless there is a clear understanding on the part of the government, right, as to what goes on and how it goes on, right, and what tonnages, what's being actually moved, how can they make viable decisions? How can they make good decisions without good information? Absolutely right. So we just saw Congress, you know, um, giving trillions of dollars uh, into the infrastructure bill and billions of that going to the core. And the core says we have we have resources, but limited resources. So we want to put those resources where it's being used the most. So if a river system is is moving 1 million tons of cargo a year versus 10 million tons of cargo, that's going to matter when you're making those investment decisions at the government side as well as the private side, but whatever. And so if you if you don't know what's moving, you you can't apply and allocate the funds in an intelligent way, right? Yeah, no, and I, I, you're absolutely correct. And I think I think people are understanding that message. I think it's really incumbent upon the management of the ports and the companies to to make sure that this is done properly. And and the states themselves, you know as well as I do, many of the DOTs do not pay attention to what's going on in the maritime world because they're fundamentally funded through highway funds and things like that. All right. And and I and the reality in all of this is that they need to have a much more comprehensive understanding that transportation involves all modes of transportation and not just roadways. All right. Agreed, and I know that but I think you're putting too much pressure on our state DOTs because they have um, kind of you know governance in some in some fashion over over the public ports, but they they don't they don't have any say so over private terminals. And so no, if you're but only they do have they do have say so over the roadway and the railway corridors that go into those ports, both public and private, right? And the bottom line is is that because most of our DOTs are structured around our initial grants all the way back to ICE T. Right. That that's what the fundamental focus is. Now, that's that's not a criticism. That's just a reality. Right. And I think it's incumbent upon the ports to educate the DOTs as to exactly what the impacts that the ports have. And I know that makes you cringe a little bit, Amy, you know, and, and I, I've made I've made some of my DOT uh, students cringe a little bit as well in saying this. But, you know, sometimes I look at the port industry and I say, do we really have our collective act together? All right. There's been a great discussion recently in Louisiana, for example, all right? They keep talking about a state uh, port authority, right? And then they talk about the element is, is there a, a good way to approach this, right? Uh, and there was some legislation filed to create a port authority. And I was interviewed by the Times-Picayune in regards to this. And basically, I says what, what states have to recognize is that, yes, the ports compete within a state's jurisdiction, right, with each other, but they also compete with other regions, right? You know, the port of New Orleans competes with the port of Prince Rupert, with a lot of times people don't understand that, you know, which is thousands and thousands of miles away, 
all right? But because of the railway network and everything else, that cargo is coming in. So when the ports begin to recognize that, yeah, we need to work together, and they, and they try, and they try it on an ad hoc manner, and I don't think that's really the best way to do it. You know, we saw the one that was created up in Massachusetts was very effective. The lieutenant governor was in charge. All the, all the commissioners were required to attend, and all the ports sent their representatives. Uh, most of the time, it was either the port mayors or the port directors and stuff like that, and they worked very well. They, half, a, half a billion dollars in money that was distributed, right, and done so in an effective manner right, through a combination of legislative grants as well as federal dollars that came in. And that's a very good model for a state like Louisiana and several other states. Alaska, you know, the Port of Alaska competes with all the smaller ports. They need to all be working together. Florida's got a Florida Port Council. You know, they need to be working together. They do. They do need to be working together. And there needs to be one transportation system, right? But if you if you don't have the data and you and you cannot identify the cargo movements, is one system going to matter? So so first off, I want to say what we need, um, what we've identified is the Institute of Water Resources needs to be modernized just to keep the lights on at the Institute of Water Resources is six point seven million dollars a year. And they're only being funded in the 2024 budget at five point four million. We can't even keep the lights on, let alone modernize, right? So, so first off, we have to um, invest into the Institute of Water Resources. And then we can look at the, the whole system, the whole transportation system. But, but there's one thing that I, I, I do want to say is that some of the, the confusion and misconception in um, the, the data is that some people say, well, the data is being collected at the locks, at, and that's called the lock performance metric system. And that's true. However, we do have some rivers that are non-locking rivers, the Mississippi, <laughs> hello. <laughs> uh, so there's not data being collected there. And then some other people say, well, it's being, it's being collected by Customs and Border Patrol. Well, that's only for international cargo. We have this huge, um, you know, Made in America campaign where any of our road construction for um, the departments of transportation or uh, even new construction at some of our facilities have to abide by the Made in America. Well, that's aggregate, that's cement, that's rock. Those things, you know, if we're if we're mining them, you know, here in America to use those in American projects, that's not an international cargo and that's not being counted. So, so it's, it's Fisher Cut Bay time. It's time to get the message out to the managers of all the companies how critical this is because the highways that they're using, which is the waterways, right, have got to be cared for and looked after, right? Particularly in light of the fact in, in your world, right, where now the Port of New Orleans is moving forward, right? They've got this great project that they're planned. Right, and they want to get out, and then now they're going to be handling a lot more international cargo. They could create a brand new gateway down there, deep water segments, you know, uh, down in St. Bernard Parish and everything. A great idea, great concept, and everything like that, right? But all of that river system needs to be maintained. Not only the river system on the Western rivers, but also all of our river systems that connect to our ports, you know, that 
whether you're talking about the Delaware River, the Hudson River, you know, the Columbia River, the Savannah River, you know, all of these rivers, all of this has to be properly done. And where it fundamentally starts, it starts with a total transportation policy that embraces every aspect of the system. Because I'm going to predict right now, the volumes are going to come back and we're going to wind up in the same damn situation we're in right now, all right, which is fundamentally clogged up uh, transportation system, clogged up logistics and everything, because now we're in a position to fix it. And so it's time for our federal folks to pay attention to it. Whatever administration is coming, whatever administration is there now, we have ignored this since Harry Truman was president even before I was born. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the nature of the beast here. And that's, that's why we find ourselves in this kind of odd situation, Amy. You're, you're constantly pushing your members, you know, to advocate for the inland rivers and everything, just like, you know, AAPA, for example, you know, was advocating constantly, you know, for the coastal ports and everything. But the, the focus always seems to be on containers. The focus needs to be on the broader range of, of commodities that this country moves. You know, and and we're just not doing that. You know, gee, the grain crisis coming out of the Ukraine is such a big deal. Well, how is that impacting us? We don't know. We don't know what the figures are. We don't know what the numbers are. You know, and how the how data? We don't have the data. We don't. We don't. And and that's a disadvantage. You know, I update my slides when I do my program, which is, by the way, it just came in at 1,272 PowerPoint slides in five days. <laughs> All right. Yes, I know. But I haven't I, I haven't lost anybody yet. Right. But, you know, when I update my data, I can find, you know, container information, very tough to find world tonnages, very time to find to see what's moving and stuff back and forth. You know, I, I get information out of UNCTAD and, and places like that. Right. But the reality in all of this is that, you know, data is so sporadic and it all comes in different years. You know, we get Army Corps data that's sometimes two years old. You know? Three. Right now we're sitting at three years old. Right. I, you know, and I get I get the data from the ports, right? And it's last fiscal year, but everybody's fiscal year is slightly different. You know, the Panama Canal reports tonnage is different than the Suez Canal. So you find yourself in that situation. So, you know, we make decisions in our world based on good data. All right. And if we don't have the good data, all right, so we're supposed to message. anyway. We're supposed to make good decisions on good data. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to. So that's that's a good message for legislators, agencies, and every company that depends on, on maritime transportation and on any means of transportation and everything like that. You know, yes, I know it's sensitive. No question about that. I don't want everybody to know what my, you know, my competition know what I'm doing and how well I am. All right, round the numbers off if you have to. All right, but the bottom line is we need to be able to make good decisions. But the policy from from Washington D.C. needs to encourage people and needs to really be fundamentally pulled together because there are pockets of data everywhere, as you know. And Army Corps data is different than Coast Guard data, is different from Department of Commerce data because it's all measured differently, all right? And that's a great disadvantage. So, you know, I hate to be picking on our federal agencies because they, they do a very good job and what they need to do and stuff like that. But this is a matter of we need to stop thinking in silos, all right? And we really need to come from the top down. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, 
All right, let's get let's get a transportation policy put together, right? That encompasses everything to everybody's benefit because it's coming again. We're going to wind up with this situation again. And I will tell you worldwide, right? If you look at who's buying up all the key port areas around the world, it's all Chinese money. And sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves in a position where one or two Chinese owned and managed companies are going to be controlling good parts of uh, large segments of the logistics chain. And, and that's not that's not a conspiracy theory. All right. <laughs> well, it's not a conspiracy theory. Look at the data. Look at what's what data? out there. Huh? <laughs> What data? And, and I know there was a there was a great article. <laughs> you know, I, I I read Maritime Executive all the time. It's a it's a great great uh, publication and stuff. And they pick up on on great information like that. And uh, you know, everybody should be paying attention to what's going on in our own industry. But gee, we're too busy, huh? Well, I, no, we shouldn't be. I'm sorry, I'm getting you're getting me all wound up here. You are. You are wound up. I knew I'd get you. I knew I'd get you riled. But Federal Maritime Commission is looking at this as um, as an initiative, um, and and I, I do believe there's going to be a Federal Register notice coming out from the FMC about data collection, uh, et cetera. And I would I can't wait for that to come out because I want that I want that data to incorporate the inland river system, the bulk commodities. I think it should be for all maritime Absolutely. cargo, not just international, which is the focus of maritime of Federal Maritime Commission. FMC is related to international cargo. And so I'm excited to see the Federal Register come out so I can make public comment, right, um, to include all maritime transportation. And if that means that maritime administration needs to be working with FMC, so be it. I'm all for it. But we have to have one cohesive system that talks about data collection for maritime purposes. And not based on MS-DOS? No. <laughs> no. Well, and, and it, no question about that. And I think, uh, but I think data collection comes, it starts with a good fundamental all-encompassing policy. And that's the one thing that has to change, you know, and I, I, I have beaten that drum for 40 years, you know, that that's the approach that we need to take. And unfortunately, you know, there are all sorts of different interests that have delayed it, stalled it, or in many cases, People just never thought that it was that critical. You know, let the, let the private sector always deal with it. Well, private sector depends on the policies that come out of the public sector, all right? And, you know, everything that you do on the Western Rivers, you know, everything that's done in the coastal ports, you know, uh, all of that is dependent on a good co comprehensive policy. Uh, and we need to work on that, and we need to get that moving forward. And I know we have all these federal advisory committees and all the rest of these things, you know, and even the federal advisory committees, I don't think, are really focused on the fundamental issue. You know, everybody's treating the symptoms. You've got to treat the disease. And the disease is we have a lack of a cohesive transportation policy in this country. We've had four of these podcasts and four times I've said the same thing. You know, I preach it. I preach it to all the, the people who take the course. I preach it to anybody who's listening. You know, because the reality is, is that that's what's going to fix it, because it's coming again. It's coming again. Captain but, Monroe for president. I will write you in. Okay, you're right. That'll be, that'll be two of us. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
you know, all that being said, all right, there's some opportunities now that I do. You know, I like to think of that there are positive things to think about in all of this. A good part of your cargo moves domestically. You know, as I've mentioned, in the, about 10 to 12 percent of all cargo uh, is only international. The rest of it is all domestic tonnage that moves. Now, with the container rates dropping down as low as they are and stabilizing, I think that opens up an opportunity more for a lot of uh, the agri-cargos to move, the bulk cargos, other commodities that can be containerized. We have a, a large amount of empties. I think those opportunities are there. And I think this FMC Enforcement Act that has been filed uh, will force the ocean carriers to basically look at some of your customers and say, hey, look, you know, we have to provide these containers you, and give them a chance to refill it because we want to get out of the framework where the highest commodity moved around the world is air. So, Jeff, can you, can you tell me, it's been a couple of months now since the Federal Maritime Commission has implemented their, their easy complaint filing system for, for ocean shipping reform, where detention and demurrage practices um, are, are really being examined. Do you have any thoughts on, on it a couple months? Oh, yeah. In? Well, bottom line is, is that a number of the big carriers, you know, have been fined already. You know, uh, last number I saw in excess of $900 million in fines that have gone out, you know, which basically, you know, are for uh, the shippers to be able to uh, get their money back and stuff. Uh, and, you know, and some of it is, is worked its way into the ports. You know, the biggest confusion that our shippers have they don't understand the difference between carrier demurrage and demurrage being charged by the ports, right? And one of the big complaints that they had was that, oh, I saw I saw a demurrage on my on my uh, invoice, right? And I paid that. Yeah, well, that was the ocean carrier insurance. That wasn't necessarily the uh, demurrage that was being charged by the port. So it's incumbent upon our port facilities whether they be domestic or they be, doesn't make any difference. They need to let people know, all right, that in the long run, this is what the, this is what they're paying for. This is what each of these things are. And that really gets back to the aspect that we need to educate our people, you know, and make sure that they can educate the shippers as to what business they're dealing with. You know, we are at a stage now, Amy, where we have a lot of young people coming into our industry, you know, young folks like yourself. Right, like your daughter, for example. Right, they're they're going to be the they're going to be the standard bearers in the future here. And the reality is, is that you know, old duffers like me, you know, we have 40 years of experience behind us, right? So we know all the ins and outs, right? But the next generation has got to understand that, and they need to educate the people and let the people that are their customers, and I'm talking both the private and the public sector to help their customers understand fundamentally, you know, how the business works, right? How to get it done, right? And I, I encourage you, uh, you know, as you have been and getting your folks trained, uh, you know, in our, in our programs and stuff like that, you know, we do a lot of people, we've got 2,400 alumni worldwide, many of them are yours, Amy, and we're very happy to do that. And, you know, those programs are, you know, are con continuing. Uh, and they're constantly changing. When is your next program? Our next inland program is in Kansas City, right? And that will be the first week of May. And simultaneous to that, I will be doing a coastal program in Norfolk, Virginia, 
the first week of May. And then I'm very excited because when I get back, I'll spend a little time vacating and then uh, running up to Canada, and we'll be doing a program in Halifax, Nova Scotia, one of our international uh, port presentations. And then we're back in Memphis, Tennessee in September uh, to do an inland, both an inland uh, executive program as well as a marine terminal operator program. So uh, we've got a lot of good uh, education coming up here in the future. And uh, your support has been, I, I got to tell you, Amy, your your support has been absolutely fabulous and uh, getting your members. And I every all the feedback I get from your members is that they're able to do their jobs much more effectively. Uh, and, and the support system that you have in place for your members and the support system I think we have in place for our members at, uh, the, Inland, at the International Association of Maritime Board Executives. You know, our membership is worldwide, right? But we have so many great members, you know, from, from your organization, which we're very appreciative of. I'm glad to hear that. Now, while you're in Halifax, uh, our team will be hosting a Southeast Rivers Basin meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, in conjunction with the Inland Marine Expo, to which okay. I will be speaking at my, I think my topic of conversation is state of the industry. So I do hope that our listeners join us either in Halifax or in Nashville for, for one of our events. Or, well, I mean, the Inland Marine Expo isn't my event, but I'm speaking at it, so. Well, you know, I have a I have a stock presentation on the state of the industry. If anybody would want a copy of it, it's a, it's about a 70-slide PowerPoint. Nice. It's pretty self-explanatory, and I'll be happy to share it uh, with anybody who would be interested. We, we send it to the Coast Guard, and we send it to the Maritime Administration and, and uh, EPA and a lot of the other groups. Anybody's interested in getting it, doesn't cost anything. Right, because we are a not-for-profit organization, so happy to do that. And I'm going to be a guest speaker in Sydney, Nova Scotia, on Cape Breton Island, which I'm excited about. Uh, and I'll be speaking to uh, there at Sydney Port Days again about the state of the industry. So, so, oh, we're doing state of the industries at the same time. I know it just warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> Jeff, as always, thank you so much for being a just tremendous, wonderful co-host with me. I enjoy listening to you every time. Well, <laughs> well, thank you so much, as I do you. I always look forward to these activities and stuff. And I particularly want to emphasize and thank our producer, uh, Tess uh, uh, Andres, who does a marvelous job editing out all our faux pas. Right. And uh, we'll be looking to <laughs> <laughs> I'll be and barking dogs and all the rest of it. But I'll be, I'll be looking to forward to number five, which I think should be exciting as well. And I promise not to get that wound up next time. <laughs> get wound up. Get wound up. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs>